Hi, I'm Jay Robinson and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time. I'm Luke Edwards. I hope you've had a very good Christmas. It's been a busy Christmas period as always for some National League teams. Obviously, we've had COVID-interrupted Christmas periods. Some teams have played twice, some have played none at all, some have only played once. We're going to look at the North and South later on, but joining me now to run through the National League results and give his thoughts on the season overall, it is BT Sports National League commentator Adam Summerton. Hi, Adam. Hi, Luke. Good to speak to you. Thank you. Yeah. And I hope you've had a, a good Christmas, a bit of a, I suppose it's been a bit of a hectic one as well with all the football at this time of year as well. Yeah. It's been really weird because it, it's almost like commentator prep jeopardy because you, you're constantly searching online while you're doing your prep for games to see whether there's a chance of them being called off because it, it's, it's the worst thing when you you've prepped for two or three days for a game and then you get the the call at the morning of the match to say, Oh, it's going to be off. So it, it's, it's um I know people probably won't get too much sympathy for this because it's a great job to have yeah. and it's you're researching about football but yeah it's you, you don't want to put sort of three days worth of work in for it to never see, see the light of day so you're sort of constantly googling is it going to be on is it going to be off but I've been quite lucky so far um with my game so uh, we got boxing day on on BT Sport um and I was working on the for Prime Video yesterday and and that game was on as well. So yeah, I've been more fortunate than others, I think, in that respect. Yeah, because with the weather, you can, if it's like a weather-related one, you've kind of got an idea, haven't you, of what's going to happen maybe yeah. weather-wise. But with, with COVID, it's like you say, it's jeopardy. You don't know, even up to the last... I mean, we saw one in the Football League Hall, Blackburn, two hours before kickoff, and it was cold yes. off. So you don't know, do you? Yeah. No, that's it. You, you, you can... There has been some that have been on the morning of the match. I think overall, this is something it's... You know, it's something that everybody's, it's new to everybody, isn't it? And I, and I don't think necessarily that the, I think, I think if this were, I mean, hopefully it won't be in this position in a year's time, fingers crossed. But yeah. if we were, you'd like to think that there would be better protocols, procedures, even rules in place mm-hmm. to, to make sure that these things are less likely to happen. But I think I do understand that right now it's incredibly difficult situation for for all football clubs and, and all sports, really. I mean, let's, let's not pretend this is just football that's being affected by this. It's very difficult for everyone. And, um, you know, I, I suppose you look, the more you look down the pyramid, which is relevant to this as well, you know, there are costs associated with with all of this as well for, for football clubs with the testing and things like that. So a cross that's maybe easier to bear at Premier League level than it is perhaps at, at non-league level. So I managed to get clarification off the National League regarding what the current practice is around postponements for COVID. So currently clubs have to ensure that they have a minimum of 14 players, including a goalkeeper in line with the COVID protocols. And they have to supply the evidence on that alone and and nothing to do with injuries or suspensions. And also they should be able to call in players from within the structure, i.e. youth team players, reserve players, things like that. Just to sort of clarify a few things for you, we are trying to find out as well if we can get any sort of percentages on players that have been vaccinated. I know the Premier League and EFL have released those, so we'll keep you up to date with that in due course as well. There was an interesting chat actually on the um, the EFL show with Colin Murray the other night over on Quest about... Um, do you just kind of ride through it in a way and, and get teams to obviously... Games teams have to cram in games and, and that'll maybe affect the physical fitness of the players or do you take a little break but then is that just kicking the can down the road so to speak? 
Yeah, um, it's very difficult to to because I, I think anybody who can sit here and say with utter conviction what the what should be done um, is must have a crystal ball, or because you can you know it, it's a constantly evolving situation, isn't it? So I, I don't think you can say anything with utter conviction. Personally, I, I think that it's it's hard to go beyond saying you have to judge it on a case by case basis. Mm. But I can understand the argument, particularly and again, and this is where there are nuances and differences between certain levels of the game. You look at say the a Premier League club who have um, very often, you know, you take a club like say, and I'm not picking on any one team, but just to give one, say Liverpool, um, you know, they, they've got a, a a squad that is plenty of depth to it. A lot of them, even those outside of the first 11, are senior internationals. They've got one of the best academy systems in the country, a lot of talented under 23s. So I look at that and I could name Chelsea, Manchester United, whoever. And you say, well, you know, they, they would be capable of giving chances to maybe a handful of under 23s if they did have a situation where they had a number of players unavailable. So perhaps they perhaps do need to just try and get on with it to, to, to you know, just use a an ordinary phrase. Whereas if you look further down the period and particularly if you get to, to non-league, I would have thought that that's more difficult to do that um, in terms of resources and sizes of squads. So again, I, d- I don't think you can just look at it and, and throw a blanket over everything. I, I think that there are different, as I've just illustrated there, the different levels of the game, there are different nuances to all of this. So as I mentioned, there were games on a boxing day. Uh, the big winners, I think, over Boxing Day were, were Stockport. I mean, they were—I think they were down in tenth or eleventh place at, at Christmas. Uh, they had a thumping win against Altrincham, five-one on Boxing Day. They were four-one up at half time, and then they got a winner fifteen minutes from time against Solihull on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Paddy Madden scoring that goal. Wrexham—they also beat Altrincham two-nil on Tuesday. They didn't play on Boxing Day. But uh, Wrexham and Stockport are in a very sort of, it's a dangerous position for other clubs now, isn't it? Because they're coming, aren't they? Yeah. Well, they will do because of the quality of their squads. Um, I remember a, a few years ago when Tranmere were um, in a, had a really terrible start to the season and you looked at their squad and you thought they're going to motor at some point. They've just got too many good players not to, and they did. And, and I think we can say similar to Stockport. There's no doubt that Dave Challoner has had a significant impact there. Uh, they're scoring so many goals. Um, I have to say his Hartlepool side of last season, for me, I felt that in terms of, I'm not saying that every game they played, but the ones we saw on BT Sport were the ones that we covered live. I didn't see a better coach team last season than them. Mm. Um, that's just from the games that I watched. You know, there, there could have been games where they were, were nowhere near as good. But from the games I watched, like, every time I watched them, I thought, yeah, they're well coached. You, you can tell it's, or you can almost tell it's a Dave Chell and a team, which is a really pretty big com- compliment, really, for um, a coach. Uh, and I think, you know, I'm not surprised he's having the impact he is at Stockport. You know, they've got a very good squad, fairly expensively assembled squad, and they've really captured the imagination of the local public as well, which you could say the same at Wrexham. I mean, the attendances that these clubs are getting is just quite astonishing, really. Um, you know, Wrexham, the highest average gate in the league, I think their average gate is around 8,000. Um, Stockport, you know, had that sellout in the FA Cup. I believe it was 9,000 there the other day as well. So, you know, they've, yeah. they've really getting the backing of the local public too, which can carry you a long way as well. So 
you know, it's all playing into what is an absolutely or going to be an absolutely compelling title race in the new year. When you think we have five points separating Chesterfield in first and not County down in ninth. Now, I, if I were a Notts County fan, I would still very much consider myself in the title race. You know, so it, it's just fantastic. It really is. And like you say, yeah, the, these two clubs are going to be hard to stop. But then you look at a side like Boreham Wood, um, who've a fourth. Uh, they've only played 18 games. They've got 38 points. So, mm-hmm. you know, they've got games in hand on, on those above them. And, and they're a team that's never played in the Football League, considered perhaps one of the smaller clubs, certainly one of the smallest attendances in the league. So it just shows you that, you know, we've, it's not just about the big ex-Football League clubs. There are smaller clubs here who are really giving a good fight. Of You know, Bromley's another example of a team that's never been in the Football League. Solihull Moors a seventh. So whilst, yes, Wrexham and Stockport have the resources, have the bigger names, have the bigger squads, you know, there are smaller clubs as well who are saying, hang on a minute, we're part of this too. And it's that just adds to it all. It's fantastic. Bournemouth and Notts County, they didn't play over the Christmas period because of COVID issues. At the top, as you mentioned, Adam, are Chesterfield. They're ahead of Halifax on goal difference. And Halifax were looking at one stage as, as though they were going four points clear. Matty Warburton gave them the lead there. But uh, Chesterfield equalised late on. And um, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, Chesterfield have got games in hand on the teams below them. And, and Pete Wilde at Halifax is just doing an incredible job. He is. And he's done an incredible job since he arrived there. Um, whilst with not whilst not always getting the results, I know myself and Adam Virgo, um, who we commentate on the on the National League together for BT Sport. We were, every time we watched them, we came away saying he looks like he's got a really good coach because you had to appreciate the resources he had mm. and the squad that he had. And it would have been very difficult for him to achieve much more than he has done in, in his time there before this season. But he's, he's somehow managing to, again, step it up a level. And this is where I've got so much respect for a club like Halifax who have nothing like the budget of a Chesterfield or a Wrexham or a Stockport, but yet are still competing with them. And that, for me, particularly with Pete Wilde, um, it feels like a, a sort of a, a triumph for coaching for me. Because with, with the greatest of respects, Luke, if you look at their squad, it, it really shouldn't be, in my opinion, challenging for the mm. title. It's a good squad. But you, I think if you were to look at it in, you know, at the start of the season, would anybody truly honestly have said, yeah, Halifax are going to challenge for the title, potentially win the league? I'm not so sure they would, not even Halifax fans. But, you know, he's got he's getting the best out of a lot of their players. Uh, and I think he's, yeah, as I say, I've got a lot of admiration for, for Pete Ward. He's doing a fantastic job. I mean, in terms of Chesterfield, um, Shimanga is just fantastic. Uh, he is, for me, and... I know Adams uh, agreed with this as well, the best striker in the league. He's got to, whether it's with Chesterfield next season um, or somebody else, he has to have a chance again in the Football League. I think that he's a real top-class finisher for this level of football and, and I think he could do it in, in the Football League as well. And clearly for them, in terms of the title race, him staying fit is going to be very important. Um, 18 goals so far this season, which to for, to have that tally by... Well, before even the new year, some going, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think Chesterfield can hold on or do you think Stockport and Wrexham ultimately will have too much? <laughs> it's, it's just almost impossible to say really, isn't it? Because um, you just don't know in terms of injuries and, and potential transfers in and out as well, because that's the unknown quantity here, particularly with the likes of Wrexham and Stockport, um, who have got 
you know, owners who you feel will say, right, if we've got a sniff of wind and a leak it, which they have, let's really go and see if we can blow everyone away and, and get some big names in. That's going to be more difficult perhaps now than it might have been in the summer where they've been able to, you know, you've seen Wrexham going and signing players from, you know, League One and League Two. And that might be a little bit more difficult in January than it would be in the summer. So we'll see what they can do in that respect. But I think that's what makes this so difficult to answer your question is that, you know, if, if one of those teams were to go out and sign, you know, a player from League One because they've got the resources to do that, to bolster their squad, suddenly that could make a big difference. So it's, it's, it's hard to tell what will happen in that respect, really. Yeah, Bromley, you saw them on Boxing Day. They drew 1-1 with Southend and then they surprisingly lost 1-0 at Maidenhead on Tuesday as well. I mean, they were kind of my tips because they're a team that go under the radar and I think everyone will be looking to stop Port Wrexham, Chesterfield and they may well sneak in. I mean, they're still in a good position, but it feels like a bit of a missed opportunity, doesn't it, these last couple of games? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I was really disappointed with Bromley um, on Boxing Day. I think Andy Woodman said as much after the game that, you know, they just hadn't done themselves justice. And I would totally agree with that because I think that they're much better than they showed in that game. Their record under Andy Woodman has been fantastic. They're certainly much harder to beat now. You've got to give him big credit for that. Um, I thought Neil Smith, by the way, had done a fantastic job at Bromley to think where he'd taken them to. Mm. But Andy Woodman, yeah, I mean, he's he's done brilliantly uh, there at, uh, at Hayes Lane. But yeah, they were just missing something on Boxing Day. I, I didn't obviously didn't see the game at Maidenhead where they've lost 1-0. But um, yeah, it's hard to, to, to truly put your finger on it. I thought that... Um, Having said that, I thought that South End did really well on, on Boxing Day. They did not look like a side fighting relegation, far from it. You know, they looked like a side who could, you know, be challenging in the top half of the table for me. I, I love Zach Brunt. I think he's a really good player. There. Sheffield United have potentially got a little gem there. Um, so I think South End United, to give them credit, did play a part in, in why Bromley weren't anywhere near their best on Boxing Day. But, um, you know... <laughs> Again, we go back to size of squad as well. You know, Bromley have had a reasonably, for this level of football, a reasonably settled side. And you just wonder as well, could could games start to catch up with you um, in, in, in the legs? I don't know whether that's played a part in it or not, but um, it's something to perhaps bear in mind, particularly when you're assessing the performance at this stage of the year with congested fixture list of, you know, the smaller teams with the lesser resources. Yeah, Salt Hill are in the last playoff spot. They lost 1-0 to Stockport, as I mentioned earlier. Dagenham, they've had a good Christmas period. Six points for them. They beat Dover on Boxing Day and then they won 1-0 against Aldershot, which uh, Rob was at. And the goal scorer, the winning goal scorer in that game was Angelo Balanta. And Rob caught up with him after the game. Angelo, just the one goal in the game for Dagenham today, and uh, uh, if you don't mind me saying a, a finish of real quality, one you had to kind of make that one up as you went along, didn't mm. you? Because the situation changed as you broke through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I broke through really, um, and I felt if I, if I um, cut the ball across him, it was obviously I was in, in on goal. Um, the keeper did rush out a little bit, but the only option was to dink him, if I'm honest. Um, and I did that, and luckily for me, I went in. You uh, had a bright game yourself, some some, some great touches, uh, but uh, you went off towards the end. Uh, how's the injury? Uh, yeah, it's not an injury. It's more precautionary. Um, I've struggled with my hamstrings before. Um, just look after myself because um, another game in the next, I think, five days, isn't it? So um, just look after myself and being ready for that, really. So Dagenham will go into the new year in eighth place, just a point or so outside the playoffs pretty much where you want to be for the second half push 
exactly that. I mean, I like to call it, and a lot of people like to call it the business end of the season. And that was Angelo Balanza. And Rob said it was a, a bit of a game too far for Aldershot. But for Dagenham, they're just a point outside the playoffs, albeit they have played a couple of games more than the teams above them. And uh, they're just sort of motoring nicely now, aren't they? Darwin McMahon's a, a shrewd manager. They did have a bit of a wobble during November, but they seem to be getting back on track now. Yeah, I think a lot of that wobble was down to a real unlucky raft of injuries all at the same time. And you look at that side and you think when they have got most of their players fit or all of their players fit, they're going to be a match for pretty much anyone in the league, really. They'll certainly give anyone a good game. Um, So, yeah, when when he's got his full complement to choose from, you know, there's a there's a decent amount of depth there, which is why they've. You know, they've been able to get through the, this recent period where they have had a lot of injuries. But as you say, coming out of, uh, coming into form again now with those four wins in a row, albeit one of them on penalties in the trophy at Truro City. But you know, they're stringing some form together now and it's certainly a good time of the year to do that. Their next game, you would expect them to win as well because it's at home to Dover. Uh, they go to Torquay after that and Torquay nowhere near the levels they were at um, this time last year. They're then at home to a, one of the relegation threatened sides in Southend before a really big game at home to Stockport. So they, they've got the opportunity here as well now to, to, to further that run. You'd, you'd look at all of those games and think, you know, they'd, they'd be expecting to take you know, a good number of points from those matches. And then suddenly you look in them and think, wow, they're really motoring now. So there's an opportunity there to continue that as well for Darrell McMahon. But uh, I, I would think that they would have to be in the shout for the play, to, to, to be in the playoffs this season, wouldn't you? Yeah, they'll be there or thereabouts, definitely. And you've got mid-table consistent, uh, mid-table inconsistent teams, really. Yeovil, Woking, Eastley, and Torquay, as, as Adam mentioned there. And uh, before the Christmas games, Rob caught up with Woking's assistant manager and Sky Sports commentator Martin Tyler to get his thoughts. Being joined by Martin Tyler. Uh, Martin, great to speak to you again. Uh, Merry Christmas. Same to One you. Of- <laughs> Same to all the listeners of the yeah. podcast. It's one of those times a year where you almost forget what day of the week it is and it doesn't really matter, does it? But one thing's for sure, in football, it's a busy, busy time. Yeah, it is. Um, we're talking here uh, all the shot before the all the shot game against Woking. Um, by the time this goes out, there'll be a lot of games played and um, it, the context of it might change. But I've grown up, I made my debut for Corinthian Casuals on Boxing Day, 11 o'clock kickoff uh, on a frosty pitch. 1968 away to Carshall so that sort of memories come flooding back on December the 28th 1974 so pretty much around this time I did my first ever television commentary so it's a special time of year for me um, I've also memories of Boxing Day I played in front of 500 people in the UCL for Ainsbury Rovers and that was one of my biggest days in football as well so I think for everybody associated in football you can come up with a story a memory can't you um, will the memories of these boxing days, particularly in the middle of this pandemic or towards the end, we hope, of this pandemic, be slightly different. I mean, we do go ahead with fans today and, 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 and there'll be plenty of working fans in too. That must be a good thing. I think it's a good thing that the fans are here, whoever they support, to be honest. Obviously, we'll be delighted to have the working support and they've been very good, especially away from home. They've been excellent and our home form hasn't justified too much uh, support at home. So we're grateful for those who come to the home games as well. But away from home, we've had some excellent results this season and they've played a big part in that. Yeah, of course, we want to keep the fans in the ground. Uh, It's not 
the, our level to make those kind of decisions. I don't envy those in power who have to make those kind of decisions. Uh, like you, I hope that we are beginning to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, but we, we'll have to take guidance from, from those who, who know best, really. For yourself, Martin, um, obviously being a, a, a commentator as well, covering the highest levels of the game, have your own plans been changing quite a bit over these uh, last few days? No, not really, um, because I've been fortunate that the games that I've been uh, designated at the moment are still on, have been on. Uh, I saw probably the best game I've seen all season, all, ca- all calendar 2021 really, the uh, Tottenham-Liverpool game uh, last week, which was truly, truly wonderful. Absolutely um, all the best that we expect and hope for. Um, we don't always get, but we do get quite often. The Premier League is a is a wonderful uh, institution, a great uh, privilege to have been involved in it right from the very start, and that was absolutely top of the range. So, yeah, that's uh, others have been. One or two commentators have had COVID. Um, one or two obviously have lost games because of the fixtures being postponed, but they will be played. And, uh, you know, you do live from day to day. When the phone pings, you wonder what the message is, you know. Um, but as we stand, um, I'm due to be at Newcastle, Newcastle, Manchester United tomorrow. And at the weekend, um, there's a small matter of Chelsea against Liverpool. So uh, hopefully those games will all go ahead. But they, they will at some point. Um, we, we've got to emphasise the positive. I've always been a sort of glass half full person, really. And uh, uh, it, it, it's steers you through what's been a difficult time for everybody not not just us in football we're, we're quite lucky really in fact we're more than quite lucky we're very lucky that the industry has kept going even with with no crowd in the stadium we've been covering the games and uh, we we're very very lucky that the government have seen that that is an important part of life in in the uk talking to being a, a glass half full um not focusing too much on this specific game but for Aldershot and for woking quite bizarre seasons particularly in the way in which they've kind of spun round. Woking on a great run early on, Aldershot couldn't buy a win, and then it flips. And I suppose that turnaround in form for Aldershot is something you at Woking are now thinking, look, it can be done. Aldershot have done it, others have done it. Yeah, it's hard to evaluate a season while it's going on, you know. Obviously, you live from result to result. That's the way football is, and everyone's judged by results. So we've played pretty well, I think, um, but we haven't uh, maybe done the full 90 minutes often enough you know we've been caught if you look at the record you can see we've been caught just approaching the finishing line in front and ending up um, in second place in a game with a, only in a race with only two horses in it which is no good so um yeah we're, we've gone full-time which is a big step up the club has been full-time before and I, I used to help glenn cockerell a bit when uh, when he was a full-time manager but for us to go full-time uh, with the group under douse is new and we're only six months into that, so we've been um, experiencing all the... Um, and it's, it's the teething troubles, really, I suppose. When you're in and around a winning team in football, it's the best place to be. The, uh, a losing team, it can be a very difficult place to be at times. Where do you fit in alongside Douse there? Are you kind of like the middleman? Are you sort of... The, he bounces off you quietly in the corner. I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm the oily rag. I do whatever is needed to be done. I fill the water bottles, I put the cones out, anything that he needs. Um, we were a fourth different club, 16 years since we started out. An improbable journey really together. Um, and, uh, I started uh, in the Ryman League Premier, he just got promotion with Walton and Hersham, but he started in the, in the Ryman League South. So we've come quite a long way to be involved in this, but no, 
we're good mates and that will happen whatever happens in football we'll always be good mates we were before this adventure started and we will be uh, inevitably from my point of view because of my age it won't go on forever but i hope for him it goes on for many years to come because he's a top bloke he's a very good manager he's managing most of the time most of those 16 years against the odds and without playing the um, sob story here we're still against the odds the way the club is transitional and it is moving in the right direction I'm delighted as a long time Woking fan um, that uh, when Woking weren't playing when I was a kid I don't know whether I should admit this to your podcast mm. but it's the truth I used to come and watch all the show oh. I lived in West Byfleet you could get the train I went to school in Guildford which was another issue because it was Guildford City in those days so I was fighting play- playground battles on behalf of Woking <laughs> against the Guildford City fans but uh, you could get a train from West Byfield into Woking as many people listen to this would know the train splits half of it goes to Guildford half of it goes to uh, Aldershot I don't know whether that's still the case but that was the case then and Jeff Chappell of course who is a big wo- um, mm. Woking man but also a boyhood Aldershot fan wow. so either none of the rivalry sticks with me mm. because um, this is a fine football club the mm. stadium is, is uh, pretty much as it was mm. obviously a lot more seats but mm. the actual configuration of the grounds pretty much as it was and I used to walk from the station I get the train and it, the games used to finish at 20 to 5 the train back to West Byfield was quarter to 5 but I stayed to the quarter past 5 one because I twigged that the players who played for Aldershot in the old third division probably in the third division south when I first came mm. lived in London so if you wait till the quarter past five, they'd all got showered <laughs> and they were all in their trilbies and trench coats and they were all on the train getting, and I was there getting the autograph and <laughs> I got off at West Byfleet and they went on to London and lived their lives. And that was Martin Tyler and it's been an interesting uh, crisp period so far for well, can he play Aldershot twice? He, he drew 1-1 at Aldershot on Boxing Day, a last minute penalty from Max Kretschmer. Uh, scored a point for them there. And then they got a hard-fought win over Dover on Tuesday before they faced the reverse fixture against Aldershot on the 3rd of January. As I mentioned there, I mean, that was the, the game on Boxing Day was actually Woking's first draw of the season, which is, is pretty remarkable. But then you look at the likes of Yeovil, who had two men sent off, lost at Torquay. Torquay won that game, but then Torquay went and lost at Eastley. And it, it must be so frustrating for those um, those managers at the minute, those four teams I mentioned, that in that they're just really inconsistent. Yeah, yeah, it will be really frustrating. I, Woking of perhaps a little further down than I expected this season. Um, I've seen them a few times, and when I have, there have been periods in games where I've watched them and thought, yeah, that, you know, this looks like a, a good side or a side that's got the potential to really grow and develop. But then there are other times when you watch them and, and you're not so sure. And I think that kind of encapsulates perhaps why they are where they are in the table down in, in 12th. They've played a, a couple of games more than quite a few of the teams around them as well. But you know they've got ambitious owners now. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They've got owners who will see themselves in the in perhaps the medium term as really pushing to get out of this league. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I think from just knowing a little bit about the, them in the background, I think that they will probably go on and, and, and achieve that. Whether it will be this season is, is hard to see at the moment. Again, you don't know what could happen in terms of incomings and comings and goings in in January. But um, yeah, they've they've just not quite been where I expected them to be. And, you know, if you look outside of Campbell, who's done really well and, and he can be very satisfied with his season to date with, with 13 goals. I think he's done that in, it's, it's in 19 games. So, I mean, that's, that's a really good record, but you, you look around him and he needs a bit of help in that respect, doesn't he? I mean, Kretschmar's got seven from midfield, but then Effie Young 
has got six. I know he's not a prolific goal scorer. He does a lot of work outside of scoring goals for a forward. But you'd, you'd maybe hope for, for some more there. And then, you know, Loza hasn't s- scored yet at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Ince has got a couple, but the, he could do with more support, couldn't he, Campbell, in that respect? They're, they're a little bit too reliant on him for the goals. And maybe that partly explains why Woking haven't yet sort of looked to seriously threaten the, the, the playoff places as yet. But things can change. It's a, it's a long season. Yeah, and uh, it's important to keep uh, Tavon Campbell. I have seen him link with Wrexham for the January transfer window. So if he goes, that'll be a massive blow for them, won't it? It would, and it would send out the wrong messages as well. Because as I said earlier, I get the impression from the owners at, at Woking and you know, the, the changes that have been made and behind the scenes that not everybody sees with in terms of training facilities, which have really gone up a notch. That doesn't really go hand in hand, does it, with with letting your your top goal scorer go midway through the season? I know if a football league club comes in and says we want him, that's going to be more difficult. But particularly, you know, if they were to lose him to a team at this level, that for me wouldn't send out great messages. But then to be fair on the club, sometimes if a player is absolutely determined and just wants to go, it can it can be a waste of time trying to keep them really. So it's it's. It's difficult to, to be in the position they're in right now because they can't really turn around to the player and say, look, stay with us because we're going to get promoted this season. You know, <laughs> it's a difficult thing to yeah. say, isn't it? Because, you know, it's very much odds against that right now. Um, but they're in a position where if they could string, we all, we've all seen season after season in this league. It's so competitive and it can change so quickly that a team can be where they are right now in 12th. And suddenly they just from nowhere string a run of, I don't know, four or five wins together. And it completely changes everything, doesn't it? So, you can't, but right now it, it is hard to, to sort of put together a, um, a convincing argument that Woking will be in the playoffs this season. Yeah, you touched on them briefly at Torquay and I mentioned inconsistencies and we saw him obviously in that dramatic playoff final last year. And I know I said in my preseason predictions, I didn't think they'd be anywhere near because I felt they, they punched above the weight last season and they needed to get up last season and they haven't. And it's kind of, it's showing this year, isn't it? It's, it's a massive hangover and they're not reaching the heights that they did. Yeah. I mean, I think back to Boreham Woods um, losing out in a promotion final and we saw a, a huge hangover for them, didn't we? In the, in the following season and, Maybe we are seeing something similar. I remember Adam Virgo saying almost word for word what you just said there about how that was their chance in the mm. summer. And when they didn't do it, you think, when are they going to get another opportunity? Because as you say, I mean, again, we go back to this conversation of resources and we thought at the end of last season, you looked at it and you thought, well, Wrexham of you know, the new owners there, Stockport are pumping loads of money into it. And you're thinking, Torquay've not done it now. When are they going to do mm. it? You know, because it's not, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. So it was that game and that penalty shootout was absolutely huge in the whole history and future of that football club, wasn't it? So whether they're not going to get another chance this season. I think we can say that with, with some conviction. They're just, whilst they have got some results of late, you know, you look at the win at Weymouth, they did brilliantly to beat Stockport at home. Um, they've beaten, you know, Yeovil, who've, who've been in good form of late as well. They beat them by three goals in the home. So they can do it. They can do it on, a, you know, um, not a one-off basis, but they, they can do it sporadically. Can they do it consistently? And, and I, the answer you have to say on the evidence in front of our eyes this season is no, they can't. Um, again, that can change. We'll see what happens in January. One thing you would say is they've got still got a tremendous manager there who, you know, knows this level so well, is so successful at this level of football. So if anybody can um, get them 
back on the right track. It is Gary, but it's difficult for him. You know, it's, it's a really hard situation. They lost some quality players over the summer as well. And that is the other fear as well, that if they don't, if they don't challenge for promotion again this season, you look at somebody like, you know, I could name a few, but say Lemon Hay Evans, would they be able to keep him again at the end of this season? Mm. You'd be surprised, wouldn't you? I mean, he's probably going to be wanting to be in a side that's either in the football league or challenging to be in the football league. So, um, and then maybe Torquay fans would say he's not, he's one of many who's not been at the level that they were last season to, to give sort of a counter yeah, you know, view exactly, of that. Yeah. 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 So it's, 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 it was always going to be difficult this season. I, I don't think it surprised anybody that Torquay have, have not been at the levels they were last year. I'm just glad that myself and Adam Virgo are thinking alike. Great mind, great minds. <laughs> I'd, eh? be, I'd be worried. <laughs> <laughs> We'll just look at the bottom briefly. Uh, South End, we had Adam on, Adam Virgo on a couple of weeks ago, and he said he really feared for him that they could get back to back relegations. But that result at Bromley meant they've, they've only lost one of the last four now. So um, they are just getting a little bit of run of form. And from what you said, I mean, I must admit, I didn't see the game against Bromley, but from what you said, maybe now the ideas there from that um, trilogy of managers that are there are um, and maybe just starting to get across now. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I think that's a really good summary of the situation I, from having watched them on Boxing Day and appreciate it's one game in isolation, but I would still be stunned if they got relegated when I look at that side and there is quality there. You know, there's no doubt about that. I, I, it's, it's, it's quite damning really that they are where they are. It shows how bad things have perhaps got off the pitch behind the scenes to, for a team of, you know, there's some good play. I mean, you look at the defence that they've been conceding so many goals, you know, a very experienced goalkeeper in Arnold. I really well, got like a lot of Ralph players from Hobson. League Two, haven't they still? As well, yeah, that they had, so. there's a lot of football league experience there. And as I say, Ralph's a good player. Hobson's a good player. Coulson's been promoted from this level twice. I know that he's been out injured for quite a lot of the season. You know, White is somebody who's had success with Southend in the past as well. And then done in the midfield, Gogo has been out injured for a while, but uh, he's somebody who's very experienced at this level uh, as well. I mean, Demetrio hugely experienced, lots of football league matches under his belt. And then maybe someone who's a bit more unknown, but I think he's an absolute gem. Someone like Brunt, who's on loan from Sheffield United, Murphy, who's scored so many goals at this level of football and the level below as well. Uh, Dolby, who's a promising young forward too. So, there is no reason, really, when you look through their squad, why they should be threatened with relegation. And I, like I say, I would be absolutely amazed if they're anywhere near the relegation zone at the end of the season. The only thing that you look at with Southend and you think, I've said this to Adam before, you look at it and you think, this situation with the, so many big names behind the scenes now, you know, Stan Collymore's there. Uh, John Stills come in. Well, I mean, what a football brain they've got there. Yeah. Um, you've got a former National League manager only recently as well in, in Darren Curry alongside Kevin Mayer. And you start, you, you look at that and you think, wow, I mean, you know, they've committed a lot of resources in terms of, you know, the, the, the people looking to lead this. And you start to think, could it be a case of too many cooks there yeah. or too many, there are too many egos there. And I don't mean egos in a bad way. I just mean, you know, these are people who've had success in their field and, and would all perhaps feel that they've got the right to have the say on, you know, where the club should be going, the direction it should be taking. So that, that was my worry for that. I looked at it, I thought, will that work? I'm not, I'm not so sure the dynamic of that will work, but you have to mm. say on the evidence I've seen in terms of the team developing, um, it, is, it, it seems to that it is working. So um, it, it's, 
that's going to be really interesting for me to watch how that all develops going forward, the relationships between all those different people and whether everybody remains on the same page. And Southend will certainly hope so. And they'll have surely done their due diligence before hiring mm. all these people to think that they can work. They are the type of personalities that can all fit in together. But if it does click and it does work, there's a heck of a lot of football knowledge there. And that's only got to be a good thing. Yeah, Adam did mention that. I mean, sometimes... I say too many brains and you you can overthink it, can't you, a little bit? Yeah, I think for me, it's more, you know, as I said, these are people who've had a lot of success in their field and they will all feel they want to lead. Now, sometimes, you know, when you've got that many people like that, with that amount of knowledge, you've been used to having a a fair degree of power in in terms of the clubs that they've been at and, and a and maybe even a final say in the clubs that they've been at, particularly with someone like John Still, for example, to then maybe if the manager feels differently to you to say, to be able to say, okay, fine. If you think we should go different, we'll go. And that's the only worry of that for me is that there could be sort of bumped heads at some point. I don't know whether that will happen. It'll just require behind the scenes uh, a lot of, it, it will require diplomacy probably at times. It will require, um, just, just the working on relationships. I know that John still knows, has known Kevin Mayer for a long time, hasn't he? I think he said he's known him and his family since he was about 10 years old. So, whether, you know, that, that's obviously something to take into consideration there as well. But it'll also be probably the dynamic of everybody being absolutely certain of what their roles are as well, and that those roles don't bleed into another one and maybe people's toes get trodden on. These are all things that, that Southend going forward have just got to be mindful of probably. And look, they don't need, they certainly don't need me to tell them that they'll be well aware of that already. And I'm sure the, the, the people involved are, are making sure that it all works well. In terms of the relegation battle then, I mean, obviously we can say that Dover have gone, unfortunately it's been a horrendous season for them. Uh, Wheelstone, although they've had three defeats in their last three games, they're making a good fist of it. And I mentioned it to Adam a couple of weeks ago as well about Maidenhead. I mean, is this the year that Alan Devonshire's magic wears off and then lo and behold, they go and beat Bromley on one day. So <laughs> yeah. it's one of those at the minute, it's Weymouth and Kings Linear are in a really bad run of form. Yeah, they are. Uh, it's difficult to make a case for for them at the moment. Uh, Kings Linear have had the the change in management, you know, it's, it's just, they're right up against it. They're swimming against the tide, aren't they? So um, it's difficult to see them getting out of it. Weymouth clearly naturally have got more of a chance, but as I've just said, you know, Southend who are directly above them and I fully expect Southend to start to pull away from there now. Um, Maidenhead, um, I can remember, I can remember uh, it must be two or three years ago now when Adam had tipped them for relegation and uh, we did a, a, a live game for, <laughs> for Maidenhead and uh, Alan Devonshire was pretty happy. I think after hearing Adam say that they would go down when they put in a great performance. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, he, he, he made sure Adam knew that he'd heard what he'd said, put it that way. (laughs) So, Yeah. um, No, but look, Adam just gave an honest opinion. You have to do that as a pundit. If you call it how you see it. And, you know, if you think a side might go down, you, you just have to say it. And sometimes, Sometimes you could be proved wrong and, and fair credit to, to Alan Devonshire that he's managed to do that on a limited budget you know, for a very long time now. And his track record in being able to do that maybe suggests that you would bat them to stay up above a side, say like Weymouth. I, I think that that's if we're to go on history, mm. uh, you'd be pretty convinced that, that Alan Devonshire will somehow find a way to to keep them up, wouldn't you? But um you know, just a word is, by the way, because I look at the table and I look at the side just above Maidenhead is Wheelstone. 
Uh, and I believe they've had their highest average gate this season in, in several decades, which is because there's been a lot of attention and rightly so for the huge gates for this level that clubs like Wrexham and Stockport have, have been getting. Notts uh, County got 12,800 for one game. But I think that's almost as important, isn't it? That whilst, yes, they're not getting numbers anywhere near that, they haven't got that supporter base. But to have your biggest average gate in decades is a testament that it's not just at the really big clubs, it, the smaller clubs as well, albeit on a lesser scale, are also, you know, attracting big numbers and big support, which is, is fantastic for the health of the league. And doing something right off the field, clearly. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's key to point out as well. You know, this doesn't happen just on the field. This is initiatives behind the scenes off the field you know, to get people through the gate. Um, work done in the community as well that people often forget about. You know, it, it irks me a little bit when you'll see, um, particularly on things like social media, where you'll say, oh, look, you know, the, the attendance is here, you know, 9,000 here, 8,000 there. And you'll get people who maybe have nothing to do with, with non-league football or maybe only watch, say, the Premier League or the Championship or whatever, and they'll say, oh, they must just be giving out free tickets or, yeah. you know, or yeah. it was, it's just because the Premier League clubs weren't playing. Well, yes, I mean, those two things can help. But you know, don't forget that these, these clubs are vital parts of their community. Mm. And what they, they do work in their community where they get out and they create fans of the future as well. It's not... It's not truly a selfless thing. You know, these clubs will do work in the community, but it's also part about growing their own supporter base as well. But those two things can both be so productive, can't they? They can both be for the greater good. Um, and that's sometimes forgotten that these clubs are doing that. In the, and even the bigger clubs as well. I, mean, I think Stockport are pretty hot and stuff like that. So um, that sometimes is something that doesn't get enough headlines or enough attention, in my view, what, what clubs do in their local communities. And if they weren't there, they would be really missed. Adam, that's amazing. Um, what What's the next game that you're covering in the National League? Oh, um, you've caught me on the hop there. Um, <laughs> what, what, hang on, hang on. If I look through my will fixture it be, list. Will it be on the third me, by any chance? It is. It is. I've remembered now. It's Grimsby Halifax. As a commentator at this time of year, you're living almost day to day with the amount of games. So I haven't started my prep yet for that. But uh, now you've got Serie A's on a break eh, as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it, it was the Premier League yesterday. And now I'm going to switch my focus back to the National League. So Grimsby, Halifax, which, by the way, should be a fantastic game as well. Hope people enjoy it. Yeah, brilliant. Well, Adam, uh, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. <sighs> so let's talk about you. Actually, let's talk about me, just for a bit, because I was like you. In 40-odd years, I hadn't done much exercise, but I knew I had to start. So, I got the Couch to 5K app. From not being able to run for more than a minute, nine weeks later, I was running for half an hour. It's simple, it's free, and it's all planned out. With a little support, it's amazing what your body can do. Join thousands of monthly users. Download the free 1U Couch to 5K app now, because there's only one you. So joining me now to look at the North and South Divisions is Dickie Wharton. Hello, Dickie. Oh, good afternoon, Luke. Good to see you. And Merry Christmas as well to you. Um, yes, indeed. A busy a busy one for you, wasn't it? Telford, uh, they got both their games. And I'm going to start with Telford because I looked at the table with about five minutes to go on Tuesday. And Telford were five points adrift, 2-0 down at Leamington. And it was looking pretty bleak, wasn't it? But then... Well, the, uh, it's fair to say they stirred to life in, in injury time, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They were they were given a, a, a big helping hand. I mean, it's sad that so they played both of their fixtures over over Christmas. We'll, we'll come onto the Boxing Day fixture uh, shortly, I would think. But yeah, the, the game yesterday, they were they're looking like they were heading for another defeat. They've only picked up one draw away from home all season. That's their only 
the solitary point before yesterday. Uh, junior English and Dan Turner had Leamington tuning up. But yeah, Leamington goalkeeper Jake Weaver let across from Brendan Daniels go through his hands and into the net with about a minute remaining on the clock. Um, that just seemed to throw Leamington into a bit of a tailspin and, and Telford had some encouragement. Um, and then, yeah, just a bit of a scramble in the box. Brendan Daniels just swiveled on the ball, scored, um, and Telford get a point. And yeah, it was just looking so unlikely five minutes earlier. But ultimately, probably over the 90 minutes and the five minutes of, of injury time that were added, probably a fair result, I would have to say. Yeah, but a big boost that for Telford as well, because... As you say, you lost on Boxing Day against Chester. We'll come on to, to Chester in a minute. But uh, two defeats over the Christmas, it would have been a drift. It would have been looking bleak, wouldn't it? Um, but I suppose that's given the, the club and the team a massive boost now. I would think so. I think, you know, you, you get a point in those kind of circumstances um, and it, it feels like a win. I think the, that was, the, the atmosphere in the dressing room after the game yesterday, I was told, was, you know, uh, a million miles away from what it had been, say, a week ago, a week ago, Telford lost 1-0 at home to Geisley in what was being billed as a relegation six-pointer. Um, and it was a pretty horrific performance from them as well. I mean, I wouldn't say Geisley were particularly that much better, but th- they were good enough to get the, the, the one goal through Josh Stones that, that won it. Um, and yeah, third defeat on the spin yesterday over the Christmas period for Telford would have been you know, a pretty awful way to be heading into 2022. But They've got a little bit of encouragement. Um, Paul Carden is making a few moves um, in in trying to bring some players in over the next couple of weeks, so I understand. Um, so, yeah, they've got to be looking forward positively. They don't have any other option. They're bottom of the table. They've got, they've got to be looking at... They've got to believe that they can get out of the situation and, and, and hope that that belief can cross over to the fans as well and just get everybody on board and, and, and then hopefully just pick up some results. Yeah, the reason it would have been a drift was because it was a massive result for Blyde Spartans against <coughs> Spennymore and also Bradford. They were leading till very late on against Geisley before conceding a late equaliser. Really tight down at the bottom because Farsley had been dragged into it. They lost 4-0 away at Southport. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge win for Blyde Spartans. Unexpected. Um, for a lot of people, I had a very quick word, although not um, uh, recorded yesterday with Leamington manager Paul Holleran. He didn't seem to feel that was as much of a surprise yesterday. I think he um, suggested that he that Terry Mitchell, the Blythe manager, knows um, knows the score, knows the area and, and, and what's required. Um, and also felt that perhaps Spennymore might be viewing the two games with Darlington on Boxing Day and New Year's Day as their real fixtures over the Christmas period, as it were, and and maybe taking their eyes off a little bit yesterday. And yeah, they yeah, Blythe got a, a 3-1 win. Um, a, a terrific result for them. You know, they, they I think they, they led in the first half. I'm just trying to remember who got them on the board. Uh, Glenn Taylor equalised for spending more. That keeps him top of the scoring charts. But yeah, then two goals in the second half from uh, for for Blythe and yeah the the three one winners and and all of a sudden you know looking upwards. JJ O'Donnell scored. Uh, Tom Lee, Toby Lee's, Toby Lee's, Connor and Thompson. Connor Thompson. Yeah, I, I could remember Connor Thompson. I couldn't remember he got the first one, but yeah, JJ O'Donnell. I think he's probably Blythe's leading scorer this season. Um, another one for him yesterday. Uh, yeah, and. 
as I say, Farsley, they were 4-0 down at half-time to Southport. A bit of a shock. There's a double for Jack Bainbridge and uh, Jordan Archer hit the target twice as well. Yeah, um, you know, Farsley, it, it's a difficult season for them. They lost Adam Lakeland. Obviously, he made the, the move over to, to Kurz Nashton. Uh, they've got Neil Ross in charge. I think Neil Ross has, has promoted a few of the, the players previously uh, under his charge in the under-23s into the Farsley Celtic side. Um and it's not going great for them at the moment, you know, 4-0 down at half-time uh, away from home and a team is in form of South Point. Oh, there's no coming back from that. They they lost their game with uh, Guysley, which was due to be played on Boxing Day. So they, they, that was their first fixture um, of this period yesterday. Um, and they've got a return game with Guysley to try and put that right on the 2nd of January. By the way, that, that game that went on Boxing Day was due to the weather, because I know, because I was due to go to Bradford Park having you. And again, it got called off late on. I must be, I must have some hoodoo over him, some sort of weather hoodoo, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a cloud that follows you around. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, Southport, they're up into the playoffs now. At the start of the season, they're at the bottom and we're like, could be a real struggle. But I know you know Liam Watson quite well. He, he didn't really panic, did he? No, he didn't panic, um, and and you know I think people will be well Southport fans, maybe who were doubting him will be glad that they that, that, that there was no panic. I mean, um, it's an interesting situation because clearly uh, Liam Watson is also a director at Southport, so um, having a board meeting to talk about sacking the manager when <laughs> you're in that board meeting yourself um, would be an interesting one. I, I really don't think there was any discussion uh, around his position at Southport. Um, he did bring in a new assistant in Terry McPhillips. Um, it took them until October to get their first win. But since that first win, 11 games ago, they've gone unbeaten. And I think there's something like eight wins in that sequence of, of 11. And they're up to six in the table. You know, I think with other clubs um, not playing over the period or only playing one game and Southport playing both of theirs, they did get a, a goalless draw at Curzon National on Boxing Day. Yeah, they're up to sixth. At the top, I know just before we we came on air, you uh, you said, oh, the North's getting a bit like the South now in terms of the division, the tightness of it, because a couple of weeks ago, Fylde looked like they were, they were clear and going to run away with it. They've had a couple of iffy results. They drew with Chester on Tuesday. Uh, they had a man sent off as well, coupled with Brackley and Gateshead winning. It means that those two teams have leapfrog Fylde and also have got games in hand now on Fylde. Yeah, they have. I mean, uh, we were... I was certainly, I think I'd used the phrase and said that if anybody finishes above file this season, they'll probably be champions. Um, well, I might have to correct, you know, I might have to take that back because all of a sudden there are other teams involved in the title race in the National League North. And, you know, we've got to say from a, from a neutral's point of view, it's, it's good news to see Fylde run away with the league um, and have Rackley chasing them would have, you know, there'd still have been some interest there, but now I think you can genuinely say there's there's four teams in that. I think the real that the real team to watch in there are Gateshead. Um, but yeah, foiled down to third. They've had a pretty dismal December. They beat Blythe Spartans in the first weekend of December, but then since then they've had two league defeats in a row. They also went out the FA Trophy at home to Solihull, and they were survived or they, they were looking at their third league defeat in a row yesterday until Ben Tollett scored in the 90th minute to get them um, off the hook at Chester. They were down to 10 men as well. They'd had David Perkins sent off for an altercation involving Chester's Declan Weeks. So 
you know, there's plenty of character there. I saw an interview with with Jim Bentley where he said, um, you know, we need everybody behind us. We need the supporters behind us to come through um, this sticky patch. Um, and, you know, it is a sticky patch. I mean, it's, you know, the, the same applies. I, I, I had to translate it to the context of like Telford season and think about, you know, they're a team that need everybody to pull together. But it's no different at the top. You know, Jim Bentley, um, his team having a little bit, a bit of a wobble and needs everybody to just keep faith, believe in what they're doing and, 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 and believe that it will come good. I thought you were going to say if Telford would have been stuck in a sticky patch, it's like it'd been more in concrete this <laughs> season, mate, to be fair. Uh, yes, a little bit more than sticky. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, foiled. Um, they lost at home on Boxing Day. They lost 2-1 at home to Chorley. It was a big day for foiled. They opened their new North Stand, which they're, they're calling the home end, which I think they are obviously feeling that that's going to be the big area where their fans will congregate inside the stadium, those who don't sit down. Um and and they opened that stand and were looking forward to, you know, a big occasion. But surely came and spoiled the party. Um, goals from Scott Leather and Ollie Shenton in the first half. Ben Tollett, we mentioned him earlier. He scored on Boxing Day, also got a goal back for them, but it wasn't enough. And surely took all three points from that game. Yeah, and he followed that up with the win over Curzon as well. And they're, they're looking dangerous as well now, Charlie. Yes, they are. That's uh, six points out of six over their two games for, for Chorley. And they had to show some character as well because they were 3-2 down in that game against Kershaw Aston yesterday. Um, they led 2-1 at half-time, two goals from Harry Cardwell with a, a Jack Dunn goal in between. But yeah, then in the second half, uh, Alex Curran put Kershaw Aston level. Um, then Tom Pierce, who's on loan to them from Altering and Altering have been farming a few players out over the last week or so. He put Curzon Ashton ahead, um, but they levelled through Harvey Smith in the 72nd minute. And a player you know well, and you'll probably correct me on the pronunciation, John Ustabashi. He correct. scored the winner. I got it right. He scored the winner in the 85th minute to make it six points out of six for Jamie Vermiglio's side. So, uh, yeah, Brackley are top, aren't they? They had Brackley. a good win away at Boston. Um, and, well, we, we talk about every year as being a bridesmaid, but this year, could they be the bride? It's it's quite possible, yeah. I mean, um, neither of these sides, neither Brackley or Boston, played on Boxing Day. Um, both lost a fixture due to their opponents having COVID cases, so they both had an extra um, bit of time off. But uh, I'm sure Kevin Wilkin will be thrilled that they didn't lose their focus over that period. They were two 0 up at, Brack, uh, at Boston, sorry, uh, by half time yesterday. Goals from Leon Love and Jimmy Arms and Danny Elliott got a goal back from the penalty spot for Boston, but and Love added his second of the game in injury time, and and they came away with the three one win. They did lose their unbeaten uh, away record against uh, Gateshead just before Christmas. That was Brackley's first away defeat of the season, um, but they've they've got back on the horse and, and got going again. Yeah, as of uh, Gateshead, we talked about two teams being above filed and we mentioned Gateshead. Then they got a three-one win away at Darlington. That man, Macaulay Langstaffy, we had on a couple of weeks ago after he beat Aldringham in the FA Cup. He he got a couple, didn't he? Yes, he did. He's pretty high up in the scoring charts now, um, as is the player who scored for Darlington, um, Luke Charman. So it was a bit of a, a, a battle of the, of the, uh, the hot shots in that division. All the goals in a 10-minute spell in the second half. Langstaff put Gateshead ahead in the 72nd minute. Charman equalised within two minutes. Sedwin Scott then put uh, Gateshead ahead again within a minute of Charman's goal. And Langstaff added a third goal in the 84th minute. 
Um, and, and yeah, it was all condensed into that period. But that's a terrific win um, for Gateshead. And not so great for Darlington. They had a 1-1 draw um, at Spennymore on uh, Boxing Day in a game that was marred by two red cards. Uh, Spennymore's Stephen Thompson was sent off. Um, and uh, yeah, Darlington had Charman sent off in that game as well for a, a very curious looking incident. There's lots of photographs going the rounds of him um, being taken to the floor by James Curtis of Spennymore in what appears to be a headlock. Charman got to the floor, uh, uh, sorry, got to his feet and, and uh, remonstrated and got off sent off for his reaction to that incident. I think there was some um, feeling that, that that Curtis shouldn't have gone unpunished as well. But it sounded like um, it was a typically fractious affair between these two County Durham sides that the fans of neither side, uh, of either side, don't like the opposition very much. Um, and yeah, it was a fractious affair all through. I think there were some incidents in the crowd as well. Um, and the downside for Darlington now is they're going to be missing charm, and that's his second red card of the season. Um, I presume it'll be for violent conduct. So that's a three-game ban for him. So, uh, yeah, that's not great. Yeah, and, and finally, uh, Chester. I mean, since we last recorded, Steve Watson's gone in there as manager, and he's had a good start, hasn't he? He certainly has, yeah. Um, Chester announced, I think, two days before Christmas that they'd be um, unveiling their new manager, on, on the evening of the 23rd um, and Steve Watson was the man. He, he certainly wasn't somebody that had necessarily been in the forefront of my mind, but you can see, um, you know, the attraction for him. He, he knows the Northwest. He was a former player at Everton. Um, he's already made uh, uh, what looks to be a popular move in bringing in Steve McNulty, his former York City player, as his assistant manager. He's been playing at Whitten Albion um, in the last season. Um, and yeah, he got off to a great start with a 3-1 win at Telford on Boxing Day. Um, they had goals from James Hardy, Anthony Dudley from the penalty spot, and then Darren Stevenson before Carl Baker got a goal back for Telford. Um, Carl Baker's 39th birthday on the day itself and, and a nice goal from him. But um, yeah, not much consolation for him ultimately. York continued their good run with a 1-0 win and uh, a stalwart of the club got on the score sheet. Yes, he did. Uh, Paddy McLaughlin was the, the scorer of the all-important goal in their, in their win against Alfreton yesterday. Um, he, he got a dual role at York City. I, I believe he works in, in, in their sort of sports science department now. Um, and, and he came up with, with a very important goal for them yesterday. Both teams only played once over the, the period because they, they lost a fixture um, on Boxing Day. I dare I say it, it's, it sounds as if it's the kind of result that York City really need and probably a result that I would think would please uh, John Askey as their manager very much. Um, in the, you know, Alfreton Town are a difficult proposition. Um, they're, they're not the easiest of sides to play against. And York City this season, um, you know, they haven't been pulling up any trees. They are still in touch with the playoff picture. They're eighth. They're two points behind Boston, who are in seventh. Um, and I know when I spoke to John Askey a few weeks ago that, you know, he uh, he certainly felt that York weren't out of the playoff picture. But, um, you know, it, it's maybe going to take some unattractive um, but meaningful wins like the one they got yesterday to get them up there, you know, rather than expecting... Um, you know, sparkling football. Just be hard think, to beat. 
I think so, yeah. I mean, I think that's probably been a little bit of a problem for them this season. You know, they've lost some games at home, which, you know, you wouldn't have expected them to lose or maybe, I'm going to say wouldn't expect them to lose. Maybe their own fans maybe wouldn't expect them to lose or would feel that they would, they, they should be doing better. Um, it might not be the most attractive. It might not be the most easy on the eye. But, you know, at the end of the season, if you all find themselves in the playoff picture, I don't think anybody will be looking back and be too concerned about whether they've got style points, to be perfectly honest. You know, the three points is all that matters, and they got them yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it's not a surprise when John Askey got Macclesfield promoted to the Football League. I think every week everyone was saying, well, Macclesfield don't stand out, but they just stood up there and they carried on winning, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And I think that's, you know, uh, York City fans will accept a run of that kind. I mean, um, we speak about Steve Watson going in as the Chester manager and he was formerly the manager at York. Um because he'd done such a really good job at Gateshead, which I think was the attraction when York took him as their manager. Um, but the expectations are high at York and also that sense that they want out of this league just as quickly as they can get out of it, to be perfectly honest. This is their fifth season here now, as I think we, you know, I, I must sound like a broken record or I keep going on about it, but I'm sure they keep going on about it too. Um, but yeah, if it takes just grinding out one nil wins away from home, you know, or or even at home to get York into the playoff pic- picture and give them a chance of getting out of this division. I think they'd take that given the first half of the season that they've had. And uh, just a couple of other uh, draws in there, wasn't there, to finish off the roundup? Yeah, there were. There was there was a, a goalless draw between Gloucester and Lamington um, on Boxing Day, which I think probably did more for Gloucester than it did for Lamington, given their proximity to the bottom of the table. But but not a not a great fixture. Um, and then there was a two two draw between Guiseley and Bradford Park Avenue yesterday. You touched on it earlier. Guiseley did have the lead in that game through Jake Hall. Um, Bradford Park Avenue came roaring back with two goals from Dylan Motley-Henry um, to level. And then Brad Doherty, who I think is their leading scorer, put them ahead in the 81st minute. Must have thought they were going to take all three points. But Regan Hutchinson scored an equaliser in the second minute of injury time for Guiseley. That secures a really, another really valuable point for them. We're going to look at the South now. So in the South, uh, a similar amount of games played over the Christmas period. Uh, some didn't play at all. Some had two games. Some only had one. Uh, the standout result over those two games was down in Surrey. Darkin, they beat Haven and Waterlooville by eight goals to nil. An absolute massacre. Uh, it was uh, Paul Rooney got sent off in the fourth minute for Haven and Waterlooville. They're already one nil down by them, thanks to Alfie Rutherford's second-minute goal. Rutherford completed his hat-trick in the first half. After just 35 minutes, they were 5-0 up, and he didn't get any better for them in the second half. Uh, that is a bit of a a bit of a mullering. You wouldn't want to... Can you imagine if you're a Haven't fan and you wake up all excited on Boxing Day, think, we've actually, our game survived, we're going to go to Dorking, and then within... 35 minutes, you're like, I wish wish was at home eating leftovers. <laughs> it's, it's, an, it's an absolutely astonishing result, isn't it? You know, I think it, you're absolutely right. It, it's it, across all the divisions. I know there were some games of significance taking place, but, you know, you see a score like that um, and, and it, it catches your eye. I mean, yeah, having a player sent off early isn't a big help, but, you know, that's an absolute capitulation, you know, that, to be 5-0 down, um, 
quite often you see a margin like that by half time, and then the other team um, shuts up shop, you know, shows some pride in the second half, and 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 the other team maybe take their foot off the gas a little bit. But another three goals for Dorking, you know, and that a fantastic Boxing Day for them. But I think yeah, it wasn't Paul Doswell actually moved to put out um, a, a statement afterwards i think which i've not read but um, i presume that was some sort of an apology to the haven and waterlooville fans for what they saw yeah it's it's uh, i was going to say ricocheted ricochet is not the right word propelled is the word i'm looking for uh, it's propelled darking up into fifth and a few weeks ago we were saying oh they're a bit underwhelming this year darking but from nowhere bang they're in that playoff spot yeah, they are. You know, they're, they're, it is so tight in the south. I mean, the the, the leaders, um, joint leaders, are only on on thirty four points. Uh, Dorking have got a game in hand on both of those teams and are on thirty. So all of a sudden, yeah, Dorking are absolutely in the mix again there. But we're, I mean, we we say this about a, a different team every week, and um, it, it's maintaining it. I think is is going to be the, the the thing now but you know maybe Dorking have had their wobble in the early part of the season and this is the start of you know the, the a charge to the title who knows I mean, they were certainly I think they were favourites before the season began so it's not a surprise to see them up there it was more of a surprise to see them um, you know outside of the playoff picture given the expectations at that club. Yeah they didn't play on Tuesday uh, they didn't have a game the team who are top of division Excuse me. The team who are top of the division are Oxford City. They had a ding dong battle with Slough on Boxing Day. Uh, Joe Yakiafano opened the scoring for them, but uh, Alfonso Tenconi equalised for Slough. Elliot Bengen put them back ahead with 3 1, thanks to George Harmon, before Tenconi got his second. Uh, Oxford are top on goal difference currently. Uh, they didn't play either on Tuesday. So uh, really interesting. You're scouring over the table and wondering what's happening. But yeah, Oxford um, are top on goal difference and Maidstone are now second because Maidstone had a really good Christmas period. They won 1-0 away at Tunbridge and then they beat Welling by four goals to one. And Hakan Hareton was delighted after that game. And he said he's got a lot of respect for Peter Taylor. He's somebody who grew up admiring as a coach. And then all of a sudden he's up in the dugout against him and beating him and he won handsomely and amazed on you expect for a full-time team and out flexing the muscles a little bit. Yeah, they are up to second. Uh, they're just a couple of goals um, behind Oxford City. Their goal difference is plus 13 to Oxford's plus 15. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's just so tight up there. We've spoken about Maidstone before and about, um, as you say, the being being a full time outfit and and the expectation uh, and and the desire to get back into the national league where they probably feel um, they belong um, and they're going about things the right way. Yeah, just behind them are Ebsley and Ebsley have got games in hand. I think everyone expected them to really take advantage on this Christmas period, especially as their only game so far over the Christmas period was at home to Billy Ricky, but they drew nil nil at a real surprise result. Yeah, it is. I mean, you look at the respective positions in the league table, you know, and Billericay are still um, bottom of the table, um, Ebsfleet in the playoff positions, and you would have expected that to be um, a comfortable home win. But, you know, that that maybe that is actually part of, of the issue around there, that maybe the Ebsfleet players did take their foot off the gas a little bit. They were expecting 
maybe to it to be uh, or, or to come fairly easily to them yesterday and you've got to give Billericay credit um for for going there and grinding out uh, a much needed point you know that things are difficult for them at the bottom they're three points um away from from Braintree Town in, in 20th and they've also played a game more than uh, Braintree Town as well so you know they'll they'll take whatever they can get at the moment and so that was a really good point for them yeah, especially after they'd lost the Essex derby on Boxing Day uh, at home to Concord. They had taken the lead, but then Conrad Lucan was sent off. So it's fair to say Lucan had disappeared for that game on Tuesday. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, but then three goals in the second half from Concord saw them get the three points. And uh, But then Concord followed that up with another Essex derby against Chelmsford. And Chelmsford are down there. They're on a decent run of form and they won by three goals to one. It's been a decent week for Chelmsford as well. Um, and I know Darren, the Chelsea fan, was was pretty delighted with that. And uh, they're just starting to motor along. But very, um, there's a lot of Essex teams in that league and they've all been playing each other and all taking points off each other. Yeah, they have. And, and you know, with, with all of those, um, you know, the proximity of those clubs to, to, to one another and the amount of what I guess you could class as local derbies, um, you know, adds another sort of factor in, into the, into the National League South there, doesn't it? You know, it's you you look at a game um, like that where you would think that that would be Concord off the back of the result they got. You would have thought they would be favourites to, to take the points against Chelmsford. Um, but you know, local pride plays a big factor in these things, doesn't it? You know, nobody wants to to lose to their local rivals. Um, and Chelmsford have gone there and done a job on them yesterday. Chippenham, who lost 4-1 at home to Bath. And I know manager Mike Cook wasn't too happy with a couple of penalty decisions. He said they weren't good enough first half, but then he, he said we had two stonewall penalties turned around. Anyway, they responded on Tuesday. Uh, they won, got a good 3-0 win away at Hungerford. Luke Russ opened the scoring, but then two goals from Harry Parsons saw them get the three points. Another team who were really inconsistent in the South this year. Haven't they responded? Probably maybe not as they'd want to. I mean, they didn't get beaten. They kept a clean sheet, but they didn't win either. Nil-nil at home to Hemel Hempstead. Dartford had an interesting Tuesday as well. They were 2-0 down at Braintree and Bill Ricky would have been thinking, oh no, they're going like, to go clear here. Braintree were 2-0 up thanks to the uh, the excellently named Gabriel Pekoski. Gianni Critchell added a second, but friend of the podcast, Jake Robinson, he got a goal back on the 83rd minute. And then Jack Jeb equalised in the seventh minute of stoppage time. And, and what a way to honour Desmond Tutu with a Tutu of their own. <laughs> yes, a, a, a terrific Tutu there. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, great character um, from, from Dartford there to, to come back. You know, we've... Spoken a little bit about the that they got they they it's almost a bit like you know they're a, a marathon runner and they got well ahead of the field and then they'd started to sort of like tie up a little bit and you see everybody getting a little bit closer to them they dropped down to fourth now but they are still clearly in in the picture they've they've played a game less than the leaders they're only two points behind them the same as as Ebbsfleet are and I'm sure you know goodness me in Steve King they've got a manager who knows. Um, He's been in all kinds of situations in football in his time. Um, he'll know how to best how to sort of get his team or keep his team up there, and, and we won't be surprised to see, um, you know, Dartford still uh, in there contesting the playoffs, if not, you know, the the, the direct promotion place. Yeah, and 
Tom Lang's uh, Hampton and Richmond Bury. You know when a manager refuses to come on after they've been beaten, I think uh, he's not like he's spending time with a family today. But uh, he would have uh, he wouldn't have enjoyed the result on Tuesday. They lost four one away at Slough. No Tenconi on the score sheet this time, but it was a late consolation from Jerome Sloop. But a four one defeat there for Slough, and again, funny results. A lot of teams this this week in the we've seen it in the north and the south. I've seen to win one and then lose one. Yeah, it seems to be the case in that, you know, nobody really has come out of this period or not many teams have come out of this period with with maximum points. Um, obviously, the disruption to games that, that's taking place with, with COVID. And then we had, you know, we had terrible overnight rain from Christmas Eve going into Christmas Day, which I think accounted for a few fixtures as well. Um, you know, it, it's helpful in some respects in that, you know, yes, the players are getting a little bit of a break, which maybe they deserve. But, you know, they will have all have been prepared and all have been ready to play the number of games that they do over this period. You know, I'm not going to um, segue this into any sort of like mm. um, comparison with the Premier League um, and, and some of the complaints have been raised about the number of games being played there. But, you know, all the players knew what was ahead of them. Um, and, yeah, we are seeing some some strange results, but I think that's a little bit in keeping with um, both the North and the South in that, that nobody in either league appears to be making uh, a really, really powerful case um, to say that, you know, we're the, we're the team to beat. We thought Dartford were in the South and then that's not the case. We thought Fylde were in the North and now we know that's not the case. So, you know, we there's an awful lot more football to be played and it's going to be an intriguing few months ahead of us. Maystone and Chelmsford are the only two teams to take six points. Well, Dickie, thank you very much for joining us. No, you're very welcome. Yeah, we look forward to what 2022 has to hold and uh, yeah, the game's coming up this weekend. Yeah, of course, um, not on New Year's Day. I think they're on the Monday. They're on the third, aren't they, this week? And it's reversal of the Boxing Day fixtures, the ones that go ahead, of course. So we'll, we'll review all of those during the week. Until then, look after yourselves and have a very happy New Year.